Welcome to this week's VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour and we are going maybe to the dark side. I'm not 100% sure about this. Uh, in the latest Star Wars Last Jedi and joining me at the council chambers of the Jedi is in fact Matt Wallen. How are you, Matt? Uh, the force is, uh, is grey with this one. Oh, hmm. And my good friend, Mr. Jason, don't call me Yoda. Diamond, how are you? Yes, good, am I? <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about the visual effects, but before we talk about the visual effects, we have to talk about the film, a film that has raised a lot of complaints. I saw a really interesting thing, I don't know if one of you guys actually posted it, but it's basically saying that the tide has been turned, all the... Um, the critics really like this film and all the nerds hate it. And normally the critics, you know, complain about this sort of film and all the fanboys love it to death um, and this seems to be the other way around. So uh, I guess stake your claim, are you critic or fanboy? Um, Jason, what do you reckon? Is this a good Star Wars? Do we need another good Star I, Wars? I, well, it doesn't matter if we need Star Wars or not because we're going to get a Star Wars movie every year until we're dead. So that's fine. And I'm fine with that because um, there'll be some good and some bad. I'll be like, you know salt and pepper but i i enjoyed it i mean it's not perfect it's not a perfect film it's a fun film it's a good fun star wars movie i'm a fan of ryan johnson's uh mike you and i saw looper together in san in uh yeah yeah uh and uh you know i'm i'm a fan of of what he does and i think he took some big risks and some big leaps to move the franchise in a different direction. And more importantly, as I've posted multiple times on social media, my 11-year-old son loved it, and he's the target audience, not us grumpy 46-year-old guys. So uh, I think uh, I think there's enough in there for everybody. And I, I dug the humor. It was a little odd. You know, the we'll just say spoiler alert now, just right out of the gate. But the the fake prank phone call gag between Hux and Poe was like, like off putting initially. And then like, that's really funny. Like, of course, why wouldn't somebody do that? Somebody would totally do that. Like why they're not afraid of the empire or the first order. So why wouldn't they do that? And I think that set the tone for this ping pong, uh, you know, throughout the movie back and forth of drama to comedy to brevity to sarcasm to whatever. And I think it's, like I said, I think it's taking the franchise in a, in a new direction that it needs because everybody complained the force awakens was a big softball greatest hits record. The band put out the new record that doesn't sound like the greatest hits and everyone complains. Meanwhile, it's a pretty good record. That's my, that's my, that's my thought about it. It's fight and talk from them. there, lightsaber boy, Matt. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't disagree, uh, with Jason on a lot of those points. I think, I mean, did I like the movie? I'm like, sure. I liked it, I guess. Like I liked parts of it. Uh, I thought some of it, a couple of things I thought were really great. Like but John I also think, soundtrack? Um, uh, well, in one particular special effects sequence that was jaw droppingly <laughs> awesome. Um, and this, of course, the soundtrack, yeah. Um, and, it, you know, certain things were really fun. Um, I didn't mind the humor. Um, but I, I feel like uh, it was probably about 30 minutes too long. That's I think true. Uh, Maybe. there are things yeah. they could have done to, to shorten the movie. And I think actually, too, there are a couple things going on in it that, um, like, I, 
I mean, first I should just state for the record, I maybe if it's not obvious already, like I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I love Star Wars. I grew up on Star Wars, like probably most uh, visual effects artists of our uh, peer group and, and subsequently too. Um, but uh, I think there's some things that um, work great in this movie. And I think there's some things that are, are kind of problematic. And I actually, for the first time at two hours and 30 some odd minutes, I feel like I actually had my first like feeling of, fatigue with Star Wars, uh, which I, I wasn't expecting to feel. I was sort of like kind of exhausted by the time it was over. And in a way that was like, not like, oh, what a relief. That was amazing. It was sort of like, oh man, and there's another one next year and another one the year after that. Like, and I kind of, it kind of, I sort of felt like we were witnessing my friend, uh, Kelly, uh, uh, Alder that I work with, like he, he summed it up really well. We were talking at the gym the other day and he, he was like, <laughs> you said, uh, he said, you know, he said, it's, well, yeah, it's, they just want to make money. It's the commodification of the whole thing. I said, well, it's always been a commodity. And he said, uh, yeah, but it's the, it's sort of like become like McDonald's. And I thought, oh, that's, that's pretty harsh, but like it kind of rang true for me. Like the feeling I was having about it, it's sort of become this thing that like, it's always kind of, even with the changes Ryan Johnson brought uh, and sort of his own voice, his own perspective on the world, on the, you know, uh, what it, what a Star Wars movie is and can be. I didn't mind any of the changes or adjustments, but I think there were things missing too, like in the script. Um, and I think the things that were really missing for me are things that, I think what, it took me a while to get to this point, but I think what made the original Star Wars movies, at least in my mind, seem so... Um, they, the reason why people fall in love with those characters is because uh, they form, uh, they're all kind of orphans in a weird way and they form these unlikely friendships, you know, over the course. And they, and they sort of, snide, they um, are sarcastic with each other and they kind of poke at each other. And I think it, it was a missed opportunity in this movie and it, and it was even hit home for me at the very end of the film in a way that I didn't even see coming. Like, it's a missed opportunity to not have any of the characters really together with each other, any of the sort of characters that we saw in the first movie. And there's no sense, they're sort of all on their own uh, and all on their own journey. Like they're not, uh, they're not even sort of called to interact with one another in any meaningful way. And I thought it was really interesting at the end that um, <laughs> the, the Poe character and uh, Ray, they've never met each other. <laughs> which I thought was so weird. It was like, it's the end of the second movie of the trilogy and these two main characters just meet each other for the first time. Um, really? Didn't, didn't they meet at the end of Force Awakens? There's a scene at the end of this movie where uh, she walks up yep. to Poe yep. and says, I'm Ray, and he goes, I know. But they've never, I guess they've never met each other. Oh, weird. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and so I don't know. I mean, there were just, there were things I thought that were great and really fun, but then there were some, there were a few really tough uh, visual effects that I didn't think yeah. worked so well. Oh, there were some true. really great ones that worked well. Okay, but um, before we get to the visual anyway, effects, yeah. my two cents for what it's worth is that, and, and I, some of these points aren't that original because a, a bunch of fans have also made them. I totally agree that they just seem to be a bunch of fragmented plots. Um, I enjoyed the film, but it was at some point I, I thought that going off down to the casino planet was just weird and out of place and also completely achieved nothing. I mean, there was uh, a total futility to that whole subplot that was annoying. And I kind of expect at this level, when you must be making the kind of money that the scriptwriters are making, that you can be cleverer with the script. I would have loved some payoffs that I didn't know about. 
and it loved it if there was a double double cross with the um, the guy that was doing the cracking. Like it would be awesome if there'd been you know some reason why actually bothering well all of that actually made any sense rather than just being a convenient a person who just happens to be cleaning the corridors runs into one of our main characters and then becomes a fighter pilot by the end i mean these sort of plot points just seem so wide and open and and the other thing that just bugs me is I've always had a problem with the fact that spaceships have to meet in space on the same level plane. <laughs> but now, now you can yeah. defend yourself just by being out of the distance, you can throw a rock. And I mean, like you're meant to be firing things that are, I don't know, sort of traveling near close to the speed of light. And yet they take about five frames to go across frame. And when they get there, if you're just a little bit out of range, <laughs> then no problem, you can just stay there. So neither party could go a little faster or a little slower. I mean, like they absolutely just matched each other and, and had this absurd kind of like, as long as we're both on the same X, Y, Z coordinates going in exactly the same direction and neither one breaks formation, uh, we're cool. I mean, that's fine. Like, you know, and, and oh, isn't it convenient that the distance I can throw my rocks is just slightly further than the distance that my, my um, you know, uh, fighter pilots can, can go out. And since when did we care if we lose a friggin' few fighter pilots there, like, you know, red shirts sort of uh, <laughs> disposable stormtroopers, aren't they? I mean, like, I just, it was like, what? Like you're pinning the whole central premise of the setup on this idea that I can't jump to light speed, but I can just sit a little bit outside your range, just enough. Uh, and then my super master plan is that you won't notice while you've been staring at me for hours that I'm nicking <laughs> off to the side in a bunch of ships. Like, like really? You're saying, hey, I've got a lot of people on this ship. Obviously, most of you aren't required because at the end, one person can pilot the ship. But nevertheless, we have a lot of people on the ship. Could somebody just not look forward? And if anyone leaves the ship in front, just like give me a heads up. I mean, it was just like that just, I just seemed, surely you could put the effort in, you know what I mean? Like it's like saying, yeah. I just can't be bothered to comp the window shot. I'll just have it black. It's like, no, you should make the effort. If you're a writer, you should make the effort to have that as a really yeah. good payoff. Like something yeah, Ryan really wrote sense. it too, so we can and then the other thing him is for writing and directing. Okay, and so the other huge plot point I have, and again, I enjoy the film, don't get me wrong, right? But like these plot points just bug me. Like why are the rebels such useless fighters? Like A... <laughs> Let's retreat to a place that I can only have one exit from so they can... Well, why don't they just like wait you out for food for crying out loud, right? Yeah. But, <laughs> but then the other thing is, well, didn't the rebels like wipe out the Death Star and then wipe out another Death Star and then wipe out just about everybody else? Like why are they so inept at running a galaxy that we've rejoined them now and they're again totally like, you know, down to like their last few numbers. And where the hell do the bloody guys from the First Order get a credit card that can buy the kind of stuff that they buy? Like what's the financial model that has this First Order able to build massive, or buy in this case now because we're buying from arms dealers, buy such enormous amounts of stuff and the rebels can only afford like three ships. Like, I mean, I well, just... It's the I, Republican I, tax plan that just passed today yeah. in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah i mean and if it is that these are the last people that you have like the last ships that you have and everything else then yeah poe is a moron for going and blowing up one ship that it seems to be able to be replaced at the drop of a hat anyway so like what do we care so i don't know i just 
I know people had problem with the with the sort of tracking them through uh, jump to hyperspace, but I kind of believe that you can evolve the tech pretty easily in a film like this, right? And I know they set it up in the previous one when she was going through the database. Um, so it's you know it's it's been there's no it's not without precedence. But that's not the thing that bugs me. The thing that bugs well, me. Well, can is you just, also couldn't you also say go to your physics point and say when they snap out of light speed and the ship just stops why everyone's skeletons don't fly out of their face you know what i mean well and then but i mean there, there've always been inertia dampeners and things like that that's you know <laughs> sure. I, I, you can have sort of <laughs> so you can have pseudo tech for that right but pseudo tech that says from where we are now we're cleverer in other words this is like tech i don't understand because it's giving me something i don't have but right now like honestly you can't shoot a guided drone to like take out a ship like literally why don't you just Put a bunch of explosives in some ships, get someone on, on set up the autopilot, and it just flies out and runs into the other guy. I mean, like really, you can only use these cannons, and the cannons are only like limited to the range that you can see the ship in front of you. Now, I understand from a from a structural point of view, it helps the audience if the audience are stupid to see both ships on screen at the same time. But I mean, it just doesn't seem like a very plausible and it. It didn't start here. I know you're going to say, if you're listening to this, oh, yeah, but what about shooting around the corner of the planet of the original Death Star? But at least that had like some basis that like, okay, well, that for some reason this giant Death Star can only shoot in straight lines and, and yes, we have to wait. But if all of that doesn't bug you, am I not the only one that thought that the whole days thing was out by miles. Like they seem to have like 18 hours of fuel or something and then they went down to the casino and stayed overnight and had a spa and, yeah. you know, played in the casino and then and then wasn't like Luke hanging out for days on end drinking milk and just, you know, yeah. fishing? I mean, didn't it seem like there was just three completely no, different cross timelines? cross-cutting, yeah, yeah. They're cross-cutting yeah, and trying to editorially. hope that... Yeah, yeah timelines edit, line from up. an editor's standpoint, like too, I feel like, you know, they they almost like um, it felt like they didn't want to get rid of anything. You know, they kept so much stuff, like, and they they kept a lot of things. I think they could have lost in the story, and they could have tightened up uh, the way. I, I think you could have the exact same movie, cut out sequences and aspects of the film, and tighten up the edit. And even maybe allow for a little bit more time, a little more breathing room between set pieces too. That was the other thing I felt like by the time it was over, I felt like we went from set piece to set piece to set piece to set piece. And it was like, it, it felt um, breathlessly uh, paced in a way like there was no, um, there was no breathing room really. And very little, if any, quiet contemplative moments, which I kind of feel like, is is not out of the ordinary for these movies. It's something that uh, allows the audience to have an opportunity to, um, you know, connect with the characters in some yeah. way, like to have some kind of internal, uh, some sort of rich inner life happening with these characters and or some kind of, um, you know, uh, sort of a, a ha- has, um, what's the word, like a, a haphazard kind of familial connections between these sort of, you know, disparate uh, individuals who sort of form this dysfunctional or, or semi-functional family and support one another, you know, like, and those things, I don't feel like there were, there were, there were um, illusions to it at moments, but they rang hollow because there was no, um, 
there's nothing to sustain it prior, you know. So when a student or when a student, when a um, a character in the film would would hug another character or say something uh, sweet to another character, it was like, oh, that's that's kind of nice. But like, I don't have any sense that they have any connection to each other because they haven't communicated with one another. They they don't seem to share. Yeah. any of the same goals, you know, like they've been living these totally autonomous, separate lives, uh, doing their own thing. And then I guess they have common cause, uh, when they're all trapped, you know, <laughs> I, I, well, that's I also thought, the, so I was going to say on that sort of point about not having patience, like, didn't we also feel that they killed off Snook? I mean, you set up this character. We've only seen him on hologram. He finally appears. He's a really visually interesting in terms of VFX. And I felt like, Oh, here's a rich kind of like evil dude. And when he was killed off, I was like, really? Like, he was kind of the most interesting new character we'd seen in ages. And yeah, I, I almost felt like this movie in that, in that when we got to that part of the film and then there's still the whole thing, the, the falling action, the final battle on the, the salt planet or whatever, like which, you know, it comes even later than that. I, I actually felt like, God, we, it's, it felt like two movies almost, like two totally different movies that were cut together and yeah, the, the Snoke thing, like, you know, who is this dude? Like terrible name to begin with, but like, who is this guy? And then why should we care or feel yeah. any sense of menace or it was, well, he, he had the same problem that we've talked about with the Marvel bad guys in that, like he, he, he's sort of a weak bad guy. Like he's, he's yeah. like, um, you know, who was the robot bad guy in Avengers two or whatever. Oh like, yeah. Uh, Ultron. You know, like, Ultron or yeah, whoever or the weird alien guys that come out of the black hole or whatever. You yeah, know, it's like it was just another one of those. It was like this MacGuffin villain. Well, the interesting thing is like you know, Lucas made uh, Star Wars. Then he like took a breath, hired some people, wrote Empire. You know, blah blah blah, and it was like a linear approach. Now because Disney has so much you know, so much content to create, they're doing, um, you know, Ryan Johnson said he was writing this movie while they were making The Force Awakens. So, like, he didn't have the opportunity, like Lucas did, to, like, have the movie come out, let it lay, let it sit, let it live, breathe, and it kind of expand into the what it is, and then go, okay, now I see where it needs to go. Not that he maybe didn't have the idea anyway, but... You know what I mean? So like, yep, yep. Ryan's Ryan's like writing writing his ideas before Force Awakens even he even sees the final cut. Well, you know it's like mean? the exquisite corpse school of filmmaking. Yeah, right. Like you know, before you even know what the final, they they're not planning out the narrative arc. They're just uh, jumping into the next narrative and making yeah. decisions without uh, a long-term strategy or plan. And I think and yet, it kind of shows. But the individual scenes, like the individual shot sequences, the um, setups sometimes are like really good, right? Like the, the premise of, I mean, I don't have a problem with it, the premise of uh, Luke just being concerned that the Force has as much to answer for as it did. I don't, I don't you know, totally buy into the um, trying to cut down in the middle of the night is enough reason to go on a global rampage and kill everybody in the world but the the only thing i can say is that these these plot points people have said oh that's just setting up so they can fill it in with more films they need to leave questions unanswered but i don't think you should do that i think you should provide a a, a completely satisfying meal to use your mcdonald's thing not just sort of give me something to tide me over it's like fast food 
But if you just look at the planet, like that was really beautifully done, if you look at the, with the exception of the casino, like every one of the sort of environments and places they were at looked really good, I thought, um, and they felt good. It's just that they didn't tie together. Like it's the, I, I just feel like it's not even, maybe it's the director, but director as, as writer, you just should be cleverer in giving this stuff that connects, that that answers questions that I didn't even know. Like you kind of love it when something gets set up in an early bit and then you kind of don't even realise it's significant until later. And then, oh, that's, oh, okay, oh, God, of course. Whereas this was like... I mean, I mean, I didn't have those things. You guys were bothered by a lot more than I was in the plot. I mean, there's times when I would turn to my buddy who was with me and be like, oh, you know, uh, that's weird or, oh, funny or whatever, you know. Um, and the tricks with like Luke, um, astral projecting, you know, at the end ended up being a super cool gag because, mm-hmm. uh, you're like, wait, is that a continuity error? Why is his hair brown and his beard shorter? Mm-hmm. And that's weird. Right. And they Grecian said there was no formula. way in. How'd he get in? And then you realize he's not making, he's not leaving marks on the salt. You know what I mean? Like, and I read later that they cut all his foley out. So you can't hear his footsteps or anything. It's those subtle things. Um, and then, of course, the reveal is great. I, I enjoyed the reveal. To me, the biggest plot problem that I had was um, Space Force Frozen Leia. Because, yeah. and it wasn't even, it's only because... I mean, we had seen that in Guardians of the Galaxy, which I kind of feel like maybe it's, you know, I mean, it's Marvel, Disney, whatever. I mean, not being nitpicky, but I think that, you know, you had that moment where she uses the force and, you know, obviously to save herself and it's her, whatever, her, her, her life raft, you know, because we never see her use the force other than to, you know, seemingly talk to Luke, uh, you know, very passively. Um but it's like almost like they had to do that just to create the Laura Dern, you know, uh, Oscar Isaac, you know, power struggle. And then she comes back at the end because you need her for the Luke Leia moment. But really, other than that, I felt like there wasn't like a huge reason for it. I wanted more of a reason, you know, uh, for why that why her storyline happened other than to just trigger a couple other, you know, beats that they really liked. That was my main plot point. I don't. I didn't really have a huge plot issue with a bunch of other stuff. I understood why they had to go to Canto Bite for the sort of to set up the. I mean, they could have done it another way. I. I, I didn't. It looked a little prequely to me that section mm-hmm. for some reason. I don't know if it was the shininess or the filigree or the. They went back to some production design elements from like the pod race or something. Yeah. Well, like, they even had. A I don't think track. we needed. Yeah, I don't think we needed the racetrack and the the donkey things and the or llama weird things like <laughs> that stuff felt a little extraneous to me. I I appreciated the sort of you know um, over under thing about you know the arms dealers and and sort of make you know if they're going to go so political in the prequels, you can keep the politics in there if you want to and say that there's people who don't give a shit about the first order and the rebellion at all. They don't care. Like you have all these people in space, like dramatically fighting over good and evil. And then there's this planet where these guys are like, I don't give a shit. You want to buy your weapons? Sure. Here. <laughs> and they're living their lives and they don't care. Right. Which I kind of, which I kind of appreciate that, the whole galaxy is not focused on what the Skywalkers and the, you know, the 
the good and bad Jedi are doing, which which is an interesting, you know, step back. But I do yeah. agree that the like the Benicio del Toro character, like why did he need a stutter? You know, I I kind of also he was in he was the collector in Guardians of the Galaxy, so so it's kind of like a whole other thing. But, yeah, I know, but <laughs> he had you know, to throw that in there. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't say the, I had I didn't so think the many stutter problems. Was even that good. I thought the stutter. Oh, yeah, I thought was, he was mimicking, like he was mocking someone. I was yeah, not felt like sure. such an affect. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it didn't make any sense. There was no. I did. I didn't understand why it was happening. Yeah. Um. I did like Phasma. You know, I'm a big Phasma fan. I like that they kind of Boba Fetted her, and they're just like, whatever. She's just kind of, <laughs> she's just kind of around, and maybe she'll get a movie. I don't know. Well, I actually thought but, that was good for the for the Finn character. Like, you know, it sort of completed one yeah. aspect of his arc of like, you know, kind of always, and, and that was an, I thought he had the, it in a, some ways had some of the most interesting growth as a character in that, you know, he goes from sort of the continuation of being the same sort of personality that he was in the first film where he's always kind of, he's kind of like a, a little bit of comic relief and, and uh, a coward. Also trying right? to escape. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he's like trying, trying to get to away. Like, I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and he finally comes to a point, you know, whether it's through, you know, always wanting to sort of, you know, find Ray and like help her, which is the one kind of friendship that seems, you know, pretty legit because they spent so much of the first film together. But then also his, uh, his new buddy, the mechanic or, uh, yeah, Rose. Yeah. Rose. I thought yeah, Rose like the, was one of the most interesting characters. I thought she was great. Yeah. She was great. Uh, she yeah. had some good lines too. See, that's the and thing. I think, like, well, she but, but I think that, that worked. Individuals are great. Bits are great. The, it's the plot that doesn't hold. There were some cohesion issues, but you know, um, you know, again, I kind of, I kind of feel like there's this rocky power struggle between the old Star Wars and the new Star Wars, and you're you're starting to feel the pull between losing the old characters and the cohesion that you're used to feeling of this small band of of like the the elite, you know, sort of royal family, if you will, um, with you know, like I said, this this power struggle where you're only witnessing the fight really at the highest level, and you have, like Mike said, the red shirts that get blown out of the sky, and it's like, oh, sorry, Jack Porkins, you know. But <laughs> you know, I think I actually think I, it's the old characters for the most part that, like, aside from maybe Luke, but I feel like it's been the old characters that almost kind of hold this back in a way. Like, right. I'm ready. And we're trying I'm ready to get for rid of the new characters to take yeah. to take uh, charge and sort of be the the focus of the film. But I yeah. feel like we don't we're not allowed that opportunity in yeah. this trilogy. Well, this somehow. is sort of the middle that's... of that. Unfortunately, JJ's doing number nine, but uh, you know the original the original script for number nine had like the first act was old characters and then see you later and the rest of the movie was all new characters and JJ and Kazan came in and were like no we got to do a whole movie handoff of old to new and then Ryan was given the task of the of the power struggle you know between old and new in number two and now JJ hopefully doesn't mystery box it to death in number nine and give us all new without without having to rely on nostalgia from the originals and move it forward. That's, I think we're in the like crossover period, which is why it's difficult. I'm not saying it's a perfect movie. I'm not using that as a justification. I'm just saying it's gotta be difficult to, you know, wrestle with getting rid of the old tropes and developing new tropes at the same time. Well, unlike Uh, a lot of the critics in this though, I, I think Johnson, his script and, 
uh, I think he did a great job of, uh, from my perspective, I think it was, it was tonally correct. He was sort of the curmudgeon, the sort of guy who's, you know, left his religion behind. He's sort of lost touch with all the things that he believed in. He's sort of questioning his choices and what he truly does or doesn't believe yeah. anymore. I thought he's he sort was of great. He, I thought the whole Luke storyline that uh, Johnson wrote was great, and I and the end sort of showdown how it was kind of. It, I mean, he even made it like a western, you know. Like, I mean, it was yeah, it was smart. I thought that was that stuff. I thought was really solid, and that he was kind of the the curmudgeonly sort of you know doubting almost Yoda character for Ray, and I thought that that was that stuff worked great, and I thought it was the right use of that character, you know, in that he's you know the age of uh, Alec Guinness or older, I think, yeah. than Alec Guinness was in the first Star Wars. So I, I thought like that the tree. I love that the tree was the rebel symbol. I mean, that's you know, or vice versa. You know, let's shift gears though to the visual effects now because mm-hmm. um, we, yeah. we've been talking about the plot for a while. So I think one of the really outstanding things was the character work on Snoke. So I thought he looked really interesting. I thought the skin, the eyes, the And the little hairs too. Yeah, hairs on the ears and everywhere else. It just seemed like he was way, way good. How many digital layers do you reckon we saw? I mean, I don't know. I'm just I don't think any, did we? Mm, I think we did. I mean, in the space, obviously. Yeah, but I, mean, no, I, don't I think, think we saw a digital layer... Um, uh, yes, I think there was a sequence uh, about halfway, three quarters of the way through. She's like slightly right of frame. She was looking back and it was like a connecting piece. I think they just didn't have it and they they did a digital version of her. Oh. But I could be wrong. I don't know. I literally don't know. Um, but maybe that's a compliment, right, that I don't know. I had an issue with Snoke when he stood up and walked forward, I think. There was a little, I mean, granted, I don't know what his skeleton looks like or his body form because he had that roby thing on. But like he had this herky-jerky nature to his hips and his knees that, again, maybe it's because he's like, to me, it looked like kind of a slightly wonky animation. But Hmm. it's also could very well be that that's how the character walks. I just have never seen him walk, so there's yeah. no uh, visual yeah, I history. Liked it. I, I, didn't, I didn't have that. I mean, I, I watched him when he got up and I was looking at that, and at, I, I had that thought initially, but then as he continued to move closer to the characters. Yeah, uh, I, yeah it went I, away. I, I don't know, I was, I was buying it, and like I, I thought it was some really nice uh, motion capture slash animation performance. Oh, absolutely. What have you. Like it, it, it really felt... Uh, and I thought he was a, a compelling and interesting um, sort of bad dude. You know, uh, he he was he was fun, but he yeah he he was short lived for sure. Um, I also thought in terms of the so, so I thought that was really good and some of the best character work. I've also thought there was some nice epic, like a couple of nice epic, really wide shots, especially um, after the uh, the sort of suicide run um, at the end of debris fields kind of like spreading out that made it feel big. I generally speaking didn't feel this film space stuff felt big, but there were a couple of shots there that, that really paid off and had an enormous amount of debris and uh, visual. Are you saying when uh, she went into light, light speed through the ship? Yeah, yeah. That was, that, that was, that was the phenomenal. Most spectacular thing it I've was seen on screen in a long time like that. Beyond was spectacular. To me it was on par to what we talked about in Thor of those poster moments. Like it, yeah, it was I agree. easily totally that agree. I, I saw that. And I, my buddy Mark was with me, who was uh he was uh, one of the VFX supervisors on Wolf of wall street. And we were 
obviously being very critical. And when that happened, we both looked at each other and went, holy shit. Like I've never seen that before. Right. Like you want, like it was so graphic and just to remove all the audio. Yeah. Just like that, like super sub kind of thing. And just the way everything, Oh my God, that was, I mean, that is, is beautiful design, beautiful execution, yeah. incredibly yeah. great lighting and, 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 and uh, particle animation and stuff. I mean, there was so much great stuff going on visually with those shots. The, and, and it had the uh, visual impact, I think, and I think is intended to have the story impact almost of something like, you know, an atomic bomb going off, right? I mean, it's yeah. such yeah. a monstrous event. But the only thing that <laughs> kind of sucked was that, again, like, I feel like the the lack of character development overall and like, you know, a, a sort of desire to care. Like I kind of was yeah. like, Oh good. We don't have to watch Laura Dern deliver her lines. Like <laughs> no a more wooden purple puppet, hair. you know, like, yeah. I mean, she was so stiff. Yeah. Okay. But, but getting back to the visual effects. So those are two things that I think <laughs> stood out really, really well. Um, uh, Wait, can I also, can yeah. I also flag production design, which Snoke's big red, soundstage was, oh, that was so amazing cool. it was like yodorowski you know like i don't know i just when they they walk in and it's just big and glowing red but like has texture to it even though it doesn't have texture it's not just a big you know like mushy red uh field and the way it hit the floor and i it it was spectacular production design yeah no i thought it was good i i thought that um yeah i mean for me just thinking back on it now, like uh, I'd say those are two huge standouts um, just in terms of visuals. Matt, what about you? Was there a th- like another sort of huge standout kind of visual that really impressed you? I mean, I think, uh, you know, probably the other thing that, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of great stuff, but I think I, I did really enjoy the... Um, the uh, the battle at the end uh, on mm-hmm. I guess the whatever the salt planet was Great. With the yeah some Great. of the shots uh, where we see the sun setting sort of in the distance behind the um, the the big walkers that are coming forward and uh, as the the little speeder things are coming towards and they're sort of scraping out these pathways and carving these lines and uh, as they kick up the sort of surface layer that's white and that reveals the red underneath. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was a really visually rich and dynamic uh, sequence. There were some problems in that sequence though, and this was a consistent problem visual effects wise, not in the whole movie, but in certain sequences, there was a lot of comps that um, in sunlight, that did not work. It was. It felt like there were even some in that sequence where there were live action cockpit moments that looked like they were being comped into the sort of CG ship and then the digital background of the environment. And some of the, like it was, the thing that I kept coming back to was it was a lighting thing. It was like lighting direction or um, shadow, uh, shadow, um, like the hardness of shadows and stuff like didn't match um, and there were some on uh, on the island, uh, the Skellig Michael stuff of Luke and um, Ray, where it looked like real, like foreground background um, comps that were that were kind of tough. And so some of the daylight stuff, um, I think, was problematic. But but overall, that sequence at the end, the, the sort of ground battle, I think, was just it was really uh, interesting. It was sort of a play on. Uh, the you know the Hoth battle, but it had kind of a different vibe to it that um, 
I don't know. I kind of dug it visually. I thought it was interesting. It was rich. Yeah. Were there areas that you were concerned about, Jason, like that you, I think you alluded to earlier that you thought were like problematic? I mean, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember. Um, I, well, let me, let me set you up for one. I think that yeah. for me, the, the weakest piece of character animation was the pointless uh, casino space deer quest hunt thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because I thought those characters, those those animals, didn't feel like they were. Um, how can I put this? Like they, they, I felt they were more like deer, and they were acting like bison. They were, they felt yeah. like they were racehorses that wouldn't go crashing like through llamas. walls. Yeah, yeah, and and as a consequence, you sort of expect that herd mentality when you've got like a. I don't know, like a pack of bison or something, who, who just are used to being able to like act like a herd and move hard as a group. These were like essentially in my head like racehorses and didn't feel like they would just thunder through a casino jumping over tables and plowing. Now you could say it's a species I don't know and they can do anything, but it didn't feel like the anatomy of them was that of something that would charge just willy-nilly on mass and they seem to not be taking a direct path towards anything or being scared directly from anything behind them. Like I can imagine any animal scurrying to get out of the way of danger but these guys just seem to be running and charging and jumping and running and charging and, you know, they were like solid walls they just sort of smashed through and I was like, kind of really? That's what you're doing? And then the actual, so that sort of didn't ring true as a sort of a setup of the anatomy Mm -hmm. or animal design and then the the weight of them didn't seem to justify the kind of destruction yeah. they could wreak like there were cars that were being not cars obviously but they were like cruisers yeah, speeders, or speeders cars but, yeah, but speeder. yeah they looked like cars that were being like crunched and thrown up in the air in a way that i expected a much larger thing would do and and, and even then yeah, you would need a dinosaur to do that yeah yeah and then something being bashed down doesn't feel like it should fly up in the air and explode in the bay Flood of a flame ball. It just, you know, what I mean, like this kind of like race type um, gait of a racehorse that has the sort of quadruped running like that didn't feel like it was the really heavy creature that, uh, you know, would be more like an elephant. And there was sort of an elephant charge, yeah. but yeah. not the physicality of an elephant. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of the Brontosaurus uh, chase in King Kong. It kind of had that same, the same set of kind of issues and problems going on in that. It's it was a, a an action set piece that like you could clearly see like the design and the storyboarding and sort of the plan the previous you know that went into doing it but then the final execution of it it's like it just it strained uh, believability on a number of levels like well, even the been as- better sorry go ahead go on no no go ahead. I was going to say it would have been better if they were on like a speeder bike of some kind or some sort of vehicle where they could shoot through the walls and, you know, make holes and, and like yeah. be more proactive mm-hmm. instead and, of just sort also, of going, being along for the ride. And when I looked at, like, obviously I knew that he was CG because, you know, the character sort of screams yeah. that from the, but the skin, it just looked so real. I didn't feel that about those animals. I didn't feel like I was looking at, you know, oh, is that a real horse that they're using for the close-ups or is that a real something that they've dressed cleverly? Yeah, it it's always looked, Yeah, yeah. It always felt like can it I point was... Out, Please do. I was going to say, can I point out the guy I did like, though, the little tiny Uncle Wiggly guy who kept trying to put coins in BB-8? I did like him. 
He was fun. <laughs> and and I did like after he they didn't show him like they showed him only put one in, but then like I think it's like four or five cuts later when BB 8s rolling away, you hear the coins yeah. inside <laughs> of him, which around. I thought was a nice yeah, it was like sloshing around and it changed yeah. the way he moved, which was yeah. nice. Uh, I mean I and think then, yeah. The, and then later when he sort of fired the coins out, I was like, okay, well, you know, at least, you know, stuff's coming together. You know, there's some connection to that sequence. There's a reason yeah. for that sequence, I guess. But um, I gotta say, like the audio generally was like cracking in my opinion. Like all the folly, all the like sound effects, all oh, the stuff yeah. that we've been talking about mm-hmm. was really, really good. Um I've gotta say, I was I mean, oh god, I'm breaking my own rule here. Just really quickly, the other thing I want to say earlier when we're talking about plot is I really felt like R2D2 was like way underutilized he was like it was almost like he was grandfathered into the shot right like you have a contractual obligation to show r2d2 but um that but that gets me though to a visual effect which is what did you think of the layer projection the uh, hologram as a visual it was awesome (laughs) i thought it looked good it was it was it looks so much like what is in the original movie you know or i should say it looks a lot like what's in the um special edition version of uh right. a new hope you know it's a, i mean it was a, i thought it was clean and uh i don't know it's cool i i i thought it worked uh it looked good except for she had more volume to her than she did in the original uh thing like in the original hologram she's flat it's like a two and a half d kind of flatness i don't she doesn't feel round and maybe it's just maybe it's just my my squishy brain but this one she felt like it felt like they instead of recording somebody and then messing with it they actually just made a little cg leia to put in there who was a little more uh, had a little more roundness to her I'm not saying it's a bad thing it just it felt oh, you don't a mean like different. volume as in like the hologram had volume you mean like literally she had a couple of pounds on her no, it looked like it just looked like that that the that that it was a CG model in and I'm not, again I'm not saying it from a qualitative standpoint just it felt volumetric like she had like form like I feel like in the original one if you walked around it you wouldn't see around her you would just see the message flat as oh, I see like what you're video yeah. but right. in this one it felt like you could walk around like it felt like if the camera moved around her you'd yeah. see like yeah. around her back yeah, that's what it felt like to me. Although from a story point, I was just like, "Oh yeah!" Like you know, <laughs> it's the perfect moment for that. And of course, the little over the shoulder of of R two when Luke Luke's looking at it, R two just turns his shoulder like, and they do that his head turn, and he's basically like, "What are you gonna do now?" You know, like and, it was an, it was. A, and what do I think about their decision to have Yoda as a puppet? Oh, so I was so glad. I think, I think it worked intro, great, but I think the intro is a CG. Like his, I think his first shot CG, or is he completely puppet the whole time? I think it's a puppet the whole time. I thought, but mm. I, I, the only thing I would say about it was I thought that and this is such a weird thing, but like it definitely stood out to me. Like it, it looked like the face, even though I know they said they used the same molds and all that kind of stuff, and it was the original Yoda puppet from Empire, like you know, the same, same molds to recast a, a new puppet version. And, you know, Frank Oz is doing his, his thing, but the face and the, uh, the articulation of the face and the eye movement wasn't, it didn't seem as articulate as 
the Empire Yoda. And I also thought there was something about like his neck. He had this like his it looked like he was compressed, like his head had been pushed into his body on the puppet. And so the, the neck had well, no, like it was like the neck folds, like on the back and side of his neck were like it, it just looked like he had like neck fat or something. It was so weird. It did not I thought it actually it didn't look like the same puppet, even though it was the same mold. It looked yeah. really, it, it looked it, different in a way. And it, I don't think it was as successful somehow. Was Frank Oz puppeting him or just doing the voice? I think he was doing the puppeteering too. I, although I, I'm not sure. It I felt like whoever that. was puppeteering it was pulling the face in a little bit. Okay, me. but yeah. I, I've got to say, like, I'm not with you on this one. I actually really liked the Yoda when he opened his No, I like that. No, 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 in the other film. In the, in the, oh, the in digital. The, where he opens his cape and the lightsaber just, you know, oh, yeah. m- moves across. And at that moment I was like, yeah, Yoda, awesome, way to go. And here I felt like, well, we're just doing this because we like to say that we used an original puppet. It didn't feel like that was giving me a better performance. It was like a... Um, I mean, I, I, I think the f- some of the first times we saw Yoda digitally, he wasn't so good. But by the time um, the the first those you know one, two, and three eps um, had their you know full sort of mojo on, that Yoda looked really good, digital Yoda, and he had a lot of nuanced performance. And I was not well. You know, no, it would have been pretty rad to put the same kind of like intense sort of care and uh, effort that they put into those close-ups of Snoke into a digital Yoda, you know, in 2017, yes. like that would have been pretty amazing. Yeah. I think you make a great point for sure. Um, I like the puppet. But it was definitely interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I get that, right? But I just felt like it was a bit of a... Um, uh, he died as a puppet. <laughs> he lived as a CG character in his younger years. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, so generally speaking, like as I said, I think that the visual effects were were stunning, really good, and some of them were exceptionally good. Um, so all of my criticism, as I say, falls to kind of plot stuff, which is kind of weird because I, I, I think what it gives you is you really like it when you're watching it, but then later when you kind of think back on it, you don't kind of go, oh my god, I want to want to see that again because like it's just. And also I didn't get that kind of rallying cry that I used to get with Star Wars and sometimes got with the sequels where you kind of go, you know, yeah, that's what we want. We want our guy to go in there and kind of, you know, do the, oh, now you're in trouble because here comes, you know, dot, dot, dot. It was all a bit like, uh, okay, next bit, next bit. So am I, Mm -hmm. but my biggest fear of all, I guess, is that we're heading to a sort of a merging of a, um, a voice. Marvel. Yeah, exactly. Like it's the same voice. It's the same yeah. sort of personality. And I think that's a real shame because uh, I do think that in Star Wars we want the goodies to be good and the baddies to be bad and we want, a, you know, an infinite sort of battle of good versus evil and we want to be able to get behind our characters and really kind of root for them. And I think in, in Thor we love the irreverence. And so they should own that in Marvel and they should not try and just introduce it because that would make Star Wars good too. Um, so you, know, you, asked, you asked us a question at the end of the last show, the Thor show, Mike, where you said, you know, I think you'd ask like what were we looking forward to the most 
uh, yep. coming up. Was it Star Wars or Infinity War? I think, or I can't remember what the other yep. film was. And, and both me and Jason, I think, said Star Wars. And, um, you know, don't get me wrong. Like I, I did, I had a good time in the theater. Like this was fun. And there definitely were yep. some great moments in this movie and some some great visual effects. But like, I think there, it, it does feel like we are definitely, and maybe we've been here for a long time. Maybe I feel like I'm finally, I'm at peak Star Wars now. Like, I feel like it's like, I feel like I need a Star Wars, like uh detox or something like there's, it feels like there's too much going on, you know, like it. I'm ready I, I, for all of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it's losing. It's, uh, it's, it is, it's, 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 I feel like something is almost sort of getting lost in the, yes cacophony and the sort of endless need to like constantly just like keep that cash register, like, you know, ching, 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 you know, like there's isn't it, something isn't that's kind like of getting lost an analogy in the mix. Of food. Like you, you know, there's a point and I can say this cause I, uh, I've happily or not happily put on weight and taken it off. You know, there's a point where you're kind of eating because you really think, Oh, I'd really eat that and make me happy. And of course, in the long run, it doesn't make you happy to have had too much food mm-hmm. over a period of time. Like what makes you happy is to have had exercise and actually refrain from just eating so that then when you do eat it, you really, really enjoy it. And I feel like totally. it's kind of getting a bit more like, well, we're going to have the, the buffet. And I never go to a buffet when I want really good quality. Um, I go to a restaurant that right. doesn't quite give me enough food on the plate and charges too much, but oh my God, it's the best thing I've ever eaten and it, I just so want to come back for more. And if you're just constantly serving me up the buffet, well then, you know, it's like it may be good food and I'm not saying that it isn't. It just doesn't seem special uh, yeah. in that well, kind of it's, way. Well, it's, I think that's a oh, great analogy and it makes yeah. me think kind of of that whole thing too of like, you know, is it cinema, is it art or is it commerce, you know? Like and at what point, like does it cross the line or, or what time, at what point do the scales tip too far in one direction over another? You know, it's like, but I think the, the food analogy is a really good one for sure. I guess the I think Star Wars immediately is, became commerce after the first one. I mean, there's no doubt yeah, but, that that was a driver. I'm not saying, I'm not saying I agree with, I actually agree with what you guys are saying, but, but you know, it's a tricky business because you're, you're looking at, you're looking at film by committee. Is yeah. the problem right? Yeah. And Lucas, Lucas was the final word on on the first three, except that he had Gary Kurtz, right? And so there was no committee; it was two guys. I mean, it wasn't two guys. Obviously, it was a very large team of very creative people. But but sort of George's ideas were filtered down through all those creative people, and then Gary Kurtz weighed in with logic, right? And and that's a that's a thing. And now I'm not criticizing the current you know, thing, but you have a giant multinational corporation weighing in on, on profit and loss statements against creative. And there's, there's no way around it. I don't, okay, I but don't let think. Let me throw this out to you. And it's against my own point, right? So we're talking about nine Star Wars films, yeah? But we've had six series of Game of Thrones and we don't say we're just eating at the buffet of Game of Thrones and we're tired because we got, you know, 10 eps, as uh, you know, that's before we sort of like hit. Well, I mean, so you know, I mean, I'm saying like we, we there's, a, our, there's a large number of books though to draw from. There are no, there is no uh, tomes from which to draw. These are people are making shit up based on three movies. 
You know yeah, I mean? but what I'm saying what is they that think like, people are going to do, you, but if you need to, if you need to look to somewhere where we don't get fed up with having, you know, the same characters going. Th- I mean, why can't we take uh, the best, the very, very best of a television episodic kind of arc, and make the films be this new hybrid of that television sort of ten sure. ep only thing? And but it's played out as a, I mean, it's the sort of serialization of the films, of course. But you know, I mean, there's got to be things that are happening with the characters that are well understood by the writers in the writers' room of a, you know, um, I don't know, major TV show well, like a, a Westworld. Well, I to mean, be fair, there is. Um, but Disney, from what I understand, I could be 100 percent wrong. And I contradicting my statement before that there are, you know, everybody's making stuff up. I mean, there's a huge expanded universe, you know, the Timothy Zahn books and all those uh, books about the Skywalkers and their prodigy and other areas of the universe or galaxy where stuff's happening. There are hundreds of books, you know, that have come out since 1977 that they could easily draw from. But from what I understand, they're not. So I don't, you know. I'm just saying like there's got to be techniques that make me care about characters that that still shock me without just killing them off that still makes me really root for them because yeah I was hooked on every single moment of Westworld and you know so so maybe the problem is you don't have the showrunner arc creative team across you know, nine movies, you just keep on getting different people's interpretation. Maybe yeah. it's both the, the, the movie is written by committee, but also you just don't have the Aaron Sorkin that sort of defines the West Wing moving forward as a, as a voice that, that gives it a character that says, no, our guys are going to be good and they're not going to, you know, suddenly in the third series turn out that they do war crimes because that is the pact that we made with the audience. You know what I mean? Like that's. I think you have you have to take time to develop those characters, uh, which I feel like they're, they're that's that's the problem I have is I feel like that's what they're not doing with this is they're not taking the time to develop the characters beyond like a really kind of very binary kind of set of circumstances, and then there's no, um, and everyone is alone. I had the feeling watching this and this probably says more about me, but I don't know if this, if you guys will relate to this at all, but, but I thought one of the feelings I had watching this was I felt like I was watching a movie where these characters were, uh, being written by someone who, which, you know, and this is great, but, but like somebody who grew up like with a lot of brothers and sisters in a super warm, loving, uh, family environment. And they never had that experience of like, you know, being in high school or going off to college or whatever and being sort of alienated from one's family and creating a family of, you know, sort of misfit friends, which I think is kind of what you see in that first, in that first set of characters in those first movies. And this doesn't have that. It doesn't have the characters who are friends seem like they're, they're not, there's no substance to those relationships. And so when somebody dies or when somebody's in jeopardy or in peril, it doesn't feel like there's any real emotional weight to some of the beautiful visual effects and some of the great events that take place because we haven't had any opportunity as an audience to invest anything in these people because we don't know anything about them other than these kind of sort of stereotypically kind of jingoistic um, characterizations. 
Can I ask you guys another question? Is my thing about the marvelization was about the story, but can we take that and look through that lens at the VFX? Do the VFX, to the visuals that are being produced by this terrific team of artists, primarily obviously at ILM, are, are they working with the same visual language of realism, the same kind of look, if you want, as the Marvel crew that may also be sometimes from ILM and obviously sometimes from, from other places. In other words, is there... I saw a film last night, it was The Great uh, the Greatest Showman and they'd gone to great lengths to make it not look photoreal, right? It was like it was like the artistry of illusion where you could kind of tell it was fake but that was looked finished, yeah, because that was the plot about, you know... Uh, the, the, the nature of that story was that it was, you know, about somebody that was a selling illusion and so it worked really well. But the point was it was its own visual language of like, you know what, we could make this look like it's real but I'm going to make it look like it's a miniature in the background because we're trying to, you know, sort of reference self-referentially this kind of idea of the illusion of cinema. Anyway, my point is, is this film got just the same look as the Marvel Universe? Could you tell if it wasn't no. for the design of the ships? No, I think it has its own language. I mean, you know, the fight we were talking about before, the fight between Finn and Phasma actually was gorgeous. Beautifully mm -hmm. shot. You yeah. have all she's obviously a huge mirror and you have or reflective surface. He's mm -hmm. got the stun the stun, you know, gun baton thing or whatever. Baton and and you know, you have all that explosion around them that's reflecting on him in, you know, warming his tones. She's reflecting all that stuff. But the cool, you know, mixed lighting of the of the stun, you know, uh, baton is coming into play. I mean, it was beautiful. Looks it looked beautiful and it didn't I didn't think like, oh, that's a that's a that could be a shot from the Avengers. Like, I, I think, I think I th the Marvel Avengers, leave that one second, the Galaxy stuff, the, the Guardian stuff, tends to be more cartoony, more absurdist yeah. than it's kind of like what they're doing. And I think the lensing is significantly different. I think talking about that fight sequence, mm. like I think there was some really nice use of, I think it was fairly wide lenses and they went kind of low and they had this kind of graphical... Well, they're also um, anamorphic and, yep. and it's Steve Yedlin. I mean, he... It, the, just to piggyback on that real quick, the cinematography in this was beautiful. In my, you know, all the stuff of Ray and the island of mm. her, especially when she's like, you know, practicing on the rock and all those upshots of her yeah, and like cool. the way the, and the, the way the, you know, it felt like they went for the older anamorphics than, than JJ did. At least that's, in, I'm speculating. Obviously, they're both shot on film and they're both Panavision, but, but it, it felt like they used the older glass, the slightly squishier glass. Like it was slightly softer. It wasn't as sharp at times as uh, uh, maybe even slightly grainier. Uh, like it had more texture than the JJ one, than The Force Awakens. So if you didn't know, if the characters were swapped around, you really felt like the visual style. With, I mean, Matt, do you think that's like, like it felt to you like it was a different cinematic universe from a VFX from a, standpoint, right? Yeah, from a VFX standpoint. I guess I guess you know, you know, as as you were discussing it, you know, the things I kept thinking about was I think uh I think it was you Did you, you did you do an interview with Ben Snow about Iron Man 2? Yeah. Do you remember? I don't know. I I I think I remember listening to that like an FX guide uh 
uh, one of those uh, F, yep. like the other podcasts. Uh, I certainly have and, um, interviewed Ben on that and, stuff. Uh, but. Yeah, and I, I seem to recall like a, a really lengthy discussion about the look and the development of um, the way they were able to get um, sort of the anisotropic kind of aesthetic of the Iron Man armor and how it really progressed from what they'd done in the first film to the second film. And, um, you know, I think it really depends on on the Marvel property, how you want to sort of contextualize it within sort of a visual language as opposed to the Star Wars universe. Um, so I guess I would just say like there there were parts of this Star Wars movie, Last Jedi in particular, that um, I think visually uh, felt, they, it never felt like anything from a, a Marvel picture to me, like other than, Maybe Laura Dern's purple hair. <laughs> I, I didn't. I don't. I don't see um, a similar visual language. I think that the the design language um, and even the shot design language in the Star Wars universe it feels much more. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's just, a, it has a different, it has, a, I couldn't put my finger on exactly what it is. I guess it just has a different feel, I think overall than the Marvel stuff. And I, I think um, the attention to de- detail in some of the Marvel films, at least some of those early pictures, and maybe I'm, uh, my memory is colored just by having listened to some of those interviews with, with Ben or whomever it might've been at the time or at Seagraph or something. It seems like the attention to detail in terms of the development of certain techniques and stuff. I, I just know more about it. I'm sure they're doing the same thing without a question on all the uh, Star Wars pictures, but um, it's it's not as evidenced in that I think it's, there's not as much of an attempt to have it, uh, have a visual language that's based in reality, maybe. And where Guardians maybe is the exception for Marvel. I think like Captain America and stuff, I think, and uh, Avengers, I think they're, they are attempting to have some kind of um, it's an analogy to like our world, right? And Star Wars is is total fantasy. Yeah, I think I think Guardians isn't the only one. I think Thor went pretty far out there with um. With well, we yeah, have with the latest for sure, and anything in Asgard. Yeah, and then you know you could argue that there were some interesting styles in um, in Doctor Strange as well. But uh, I think the thing that is different with the Marvel stuff is also doesn't it feel like you've got uh, different genres done in like Marvel? Like this is Marvel's heist film and it's Ant-Man. This is Marvel's buddy film. It's, you know, this is Marvel's, uh, you know, whatever. Like whereas these yeah, all yeah, yeah. sort of don't, this doesn't feel like this is the Western, this is the heist, this is the, in quite the same way that it does in the Marvel films. Um, but because you kind of get that in set pieces in the Star Wars movies. I think oh, yeah, certain you do. set pieces yeah. like try to sort of yeah. touch upon certain flavors or genres. Like certainly the the Western um, really comes into play, I think, in the sort of showdown between uh, Luke Skywalker and the Kylo Ren character at the end of the, 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 at the end of this movie. Like there's, I mean, it seems like a pretty heavy, heavy hand on the sort of, you know, Western genre. It lever. is, but... But, but I don't think we ever got to unforgiven levels of, you know, kind of gravitas and just, you know, oh, my God, I am adoring this to death kind of stuff. Well, but, yes, but there also that's references. because the bad guy now or the leader of the First Order is a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, it has Petulant to be... Kid. Right. So, so it's, you know, I think people forget that, like, you know, okay, you had Vader um, and the Emperor... 
and they sort of worked more hand in hand, they were less, you know, it felt like there was a, maybe a little more respect between them. Whereas clearly Snoke doesn't respect, he's manipulating Kylo at, at all turns. And he also, um, he's a kid. So like, yep. you're going to have the King Tut kind of like, you know, just, it's not going to feel like a cohesive sort of adult moment ever. That's the, even, that's the even the first tut. order. You know what I mean? <laughs> What'd you say? I said that's more the funky tut. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to that end, what did you guys think about the about the um, sort of wider, longer version of the burning of Luke's school? I guess you know, shot of where he's looking at the you know destruction that um, you know they allude, they say that. Kylo did it, but do we think now that Snoke did it after Kylo left or something? Like it was, they don't kind of like, yeah. did he burn here, down here the I whole really, school I himself? just feel like, I feel like they are totally withholding stuff just so that they can go back and make the Snoke stories that will, you know, feed up to this, that'll answer all the questions yeah, that they didn't answer. And I feel like that's just a ripoff. Like it's like, you know, it's like you're deliberately leaving stuff out. I just, you know... I mean, having read a number of articles with Ryan about his sort of process about why he, you know, took certain story angles, he's pretty direct about saying he 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 um, didn't really focus on Snoke that much because he felt like he wasn't like a main character, and it was more about Kylo being manipulated by him than than showing who he is. And if you look at Star Wars and Empire and then uh, Jedi, the Emperor's barely in it and you have no idea until the prequels who he is, really. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's true. So, you know, he's just like, oh, who's this guy that Vader is dealing with? Because even in Star Wars, Tarkin is com commanding Vader, like, hey, cool it. And he's like, all right, fine. You know? Um, yeah. So there is this, there is always this sort of power play between people who are like, yeah, I know you could kill everybody, but dude, like chill out, you know? Um, so I don't know. I, uh, I, 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 it, you know, it's, it's interesting that you have to start getting into like, you can't just critique the movie as a movie because you have to get into the minutia of, of all the star Wars-ness of everything. Uh, I, I mean, don't at, get me at wrong. Times. I, I mean, yeah. The, the, if you'd asked me about the film within seconds of it finishing, there's no question my first reaction is it's a good film, right? And it looked good. Mm -hmm. like good visual effects look good. It just doesn't hang around in my brain as something that I want to ponder and think about and, and oh, wow, I've really got to ch check that out. And it's like, you know, just really detailed. Yeah, kind of, well, it's not mother. It's, it's like know. take out Chinese food. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's. I mean, that's I want the thing. I want Aronofsky to make him. You know, like if he could make no, something like really? Mother, but in the Star Wars universe, I would I would jump for joy. Good lord, that'd be a riot. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what it's about what about you guys? Like, I'm curious. One thing, I like. Did either of you have any? Um, were there any visual effects in your one viewing of the movie that like stood out to you as things that uh, you mentioned, I guess the, the horse race, but were the there any really other didn't things? Work for me. Were there any other things that uh, like that you noticed or think. things that you saw? I mean, did you guys notice any of those comps or did that not stick out to you at all? 
that I there mentioned. was a comp thing. There was a comp thing, but I can't remember. I should have taken notes. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, but I was very excited. It's very exciting. Yeah. Day. Uh, I get my kid out of school. You know, like oh, you know, cool. we did it. We we did a whole thing, <laughs> but uh, you know, gotta have you know have fun about fun with it. Sure. Um, but um, yeah. Ah, shit. There was something in the beginning that I. Th- oh well, this is more of a design thing. But did anyone else feel when the Millennium Falcon was going through the red? Mm-hmm. Um, salt was it the salt planet crystals, it was right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah when they're going yeah. through the crystals that it was literally shot for shot the second death star run yep which had the red yeah. pipes like yep. even yep. the design of the crystals was and it like, even lost an end it crystals. lost the antenna again yeah and but then it yeah. went into the middle with the same like mcp cone kind of center yeah. thing and i was like Wait, is this, are they just literally just being like, fuck it, we're going to redo it because that was super fun and we can do that now because we weren't like working in the industry then? I don't know. Like it was, uh, it was odd. I mean, Agreed. maybe a lot of people who, you know, the kids, maybe, you know, kids don't care. I didn't care per se, but I was kind of like, I turned to my friend Mark and I was like, is this the second Death Star run? And he's like, I think it is. Because yeah, like even yeah. the way the crystals kind of like were built like had the same cross pipe crossing diagonally and you had to yeah. constantly be turning hey, and help me for a second what happened to the millennium falcon at the end of the mean? movie yeah like where where did it go after that see i shot up in the air and then it took the fighters away and then what and then it went and it landed back at the other end and then all the people went through oh, the got tunnel the, got following the, the crystal yeah, yeah. Okay. foxes. And yeah, 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 I yeah, guess yeah, there's yeah. only like seven people left in the resistance because yeah. they've all <laughs> right. died they all and they all got on the Millennium right. Falcon. And yeah, it was more like the yeah. resistance dinner party at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I did like the little guinea pig guys. I mean, I thought I'd hate them, but the I actually found them quite fun. Yeah. Well, I liked, I liked that he was Chewbacca was eating one. Yes. <laughs> and they were like, "What?" Looking at him, like, "What? Are you, what are you doing? What? Yeah, I, are you gonna? I just are you to, gonna I, eat I, that?" <laughs> yeah. I, I thought yeah, that was really well Chew- animated. Chewbacca yeah. is like the the most uh, consistent character throughout. Like I, I, sure. I said this on the way home, and my wife and son were like, "Are you serious?" And I, I said that <laughs> I thought Chewbacca was my favorite character in the whole movie, um, and they were laughing at me. But I think, uh, and then the only other sort of thing that I guess. And maybe this is me, the old guy, but it's a bummer that like, and I know they're, that he's so annoying and stuff, but like C-3PO and R2-D2, like they, they should be together. They should be together in one yes. of these yes. movies where like we see them together and they have well, some that, kind of R2-D2 like, was underutilized. He, he yeah. Has and he was in the first movie. Too. I mean, even when, yeah. even when Luke sees 3PO at the end, it's like, it's like, dude, your dad made that, that droid, man. Like, come on, dude. Like, he kind of looks at him. He's like, he's like, cool, later, dude. And you're like, and 3PO's just like, really? Well, C3PO and R2D2 are, they have more character development and they're more a part of that dysfunctional family thing I was talking about. They have more character development than I think Ray or Finn or Poe have had in in these two movies, you know, but they, they don't have more character development, obviously in these movies, they're sort of being sort of fallen by the wayside. But I think, you know, there's an opportunity that's being missed to really develop those characters and develop those relationships in the way that, uh, 
you know, when we see C-3PO and R2-D2 or we see Luke and Leia talking to each other or, you know, Han and Leia or whatever in the previous film, it would have been great to see Han and Luke together at some point. But, um, you know, there's an opportunity there that's, that's not being used. And I think it would, it would help, at least for me as a viewer, like who cares, yeah. right? It's made like a gazillion dollars already. So I, what did you guys I just think it would about- make for a better, a better movie. Did you like the gag of, of BB-8 as the mouse droid with the big giant box over him? Uh, it was, yeah. yeah, it was like Cute. comic relief, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought it was going to be more fun having the other droid busting. I, thought I had a droid on droid action thing going in my head, but yeah. there was no D on D, <laughs> but I thought that would have been good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they kind of they made it sound like we were going to have droid on droid action with those two <laughs> little... Uh, Sphero uh, robots they had they released yeah, the, yeah. the bad droid well, yeah because the one like giving them the, uh, the eye like what is that uh, yeah and then nothing I, I thought that yeah. was great I thought that was going to be really a good payoff yeah. they could and, have, uh, I did like it when uh, BB-8 lost his head when they blew up the, <laughs> the ship like and then he lot. rolls over and he picks up his head and I, I thought that was either some great puppeteering or some good digital work or, or a combination of the two it's hard to so tell I thought, exactly I thought it was less successful when the top came off uh, and he was discovered to be controlling the um, the biped uh, first oh, yeah, order. The, the little scout walker thing. Yeah, I, walker, I thought yeah. that was really, that felt very prequely to me too, yeah. like as a thing. Yeah. I think you're using that as a negative verb, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah negative agentship. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I didn't think that that felt like it was um, even quite right on its lighting. It was quite yeah. unusual for me to be that yeah. critical of a CG shot, but in comparison to out. other stuff, yeah, it stuck out. Just when it's he does the first reveal and stuff, yeah, it, yeah, when it first pops off, like mm. yeah, and you see him, it's like they they put too much light. They had to put a lot of light in there so you could see BB-8, just because scale wise, yeah. he'd be he's he's already a really tiny robot. And then yeah, when you see him in that cockpit, they but the they over the shoulder, that's what they they made close ups for. Yeah, the yeah. over the shoulder was yeah, fine, exactly. Right, so like it's almost you would rather it be a reveal and like, oh shit, it is BB-8 firing instead of oh look, it's BB-8 firing and then seeing him fire. Yeah, that's right. Hey, maybe right. it Again, was maybe it was screwed in the grade. Like that's the sort of thing that maybe somebody put a power window on. Yeah, the could and be. Just, could be. Uh, it may not sure. be an effects problem, but it didn't play on screen as professionally as that shot should have. Okay, guys. Well, I think we should wrap it up at this point because I just looked at the clock and we're getting to our our uh, our limit. Um, so, overall, um, obviously, plot discussion. We're not <laughs> unanimous uh, uh, order, but I guess you know we we on the whole give it the thumbs up on the visual effects, would we? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Because it for the faults that we've been like um, nitpicking at, there are these magnificent pieces of visual effects that are like really, really interesting. So on that note, I guess I should say uh, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy New Year and uh, Happy Holidays to everybody uh, here at uh, the VFX show. We're totally looking forward to the new year. Of course, we have the Oscars coming up, the race for the Oscars, and uh, we're not even sure yet who's going to be on the nominated films. Though we're down to 10 that are into uh, the Bake Off. Is it too early to get you guys to give us an opinion on you know, who's going to make it through? I'm, I'm not saying who's going to win, but like if you had to pick three out of... Alien Covenant, Blade Runner, Dunkirk. I know that's going to be your favorite, Matt. Uh, Guardians, <laughs> Kong, uh, Shape of Water. God, I'm going to run out here. Jedi, the one we've just seen. Valerian, I missed one. And War of Planet of the Apes. 
Uh, Okja, too. Okja, thank you. Okja. I'm going to say it's going to be it's going to be apes, uh, Jedi, and uh, Blade Runner, and uh, I think apes is going to win. I I I tend to agree with you, although I'm hoping Okja is in there because I I think it's a good outlier, but. I don't know why Alien Covenant's on anybody's list for anything, but the the well, there are some good effects in there. Apes is <laughs> Apes is is far and above phenomenal. When I just went to flew to L.A., my brother watched it on. I was sitting across the aisle from him, and he was watching it on the back of the seat, and it still held up. And he still kept turning to me because I told him all the stuff that we talked about, and he would just turn to me and be like, wait, that this whole shot CG. And I'd be like, yep. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Pardon my French. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's astounding the work in that movie. It, it, it is totally astounding. Okay. Well, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Of course, the final Oscars aren't until what beginning of March. Um, so we have a whole Oscar season, uh, to go. And, um, and a bunch of new films coming out uh, over Christmas and New Year. Certainly in Australia, they hold things back for uh, for Boxing Day, so they have some big releases out. Um, is Jumanji open in the US already? It's not. Uh, I think yeah. it opens. Uh, I think it opens Friday? on Friday. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a bunch of films uh, coming out, and of course, and my uh, my 14 year old is so amped for that. Like him and his friends think that looks hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it looks good. Yeah, it does look funny. <laughs> And as I was posting on uh, Twitter, I think, the 10 that I list listed are all really good films in terms of their visual effects. But there were a bunch of really good films that didn't even make that bake-off list that I was kind of stunned about. Um, I mean, really films that I thought had a really good shot. And I've got to say, I really would have thought that with this current trend towards not giving it to the biggest budget films uh, that were films that were more, as you say, like an outlier, I thought Logan was going to get all the way through yeah. to it being a, a nominee. Uh, so I was kind of stunned that that didn't make even the shortlist. Um, and yeah, there there are quite a few films that weren't on that uh, that list that uh, that I'm sort of thought might have been. But again, as I said in the um, in my Twitter post, maybe that's just because we have such depth of visual effects these days that you know it is just one of the harshest categories to uh, to compete in. But anyway, congratulations to all those artists. It'd be interesting to see how they got the Bake Off. It'd be interesting to see who the uh, the nominees are. We've got more stuff coming up in the new year where it's 2018. Good God, how did that happen? Um, but Jeez. guys, thank you so much for supporting us this year. Matt, thank you so much for all the work you've been doing on uh, editing and putting the shows together this year. It's been absolutely yeah, terrific. Happy thank you. to do it. I mean, it's a labor of love for sure because I've been a fan of the show since long before I was ever on it. And uh, so, yeah, it's fun. I, I never, it's not even work. <laughs> it's a pleasure. And Jason, thank you. And thank you for all, uh, the footage and stuff you gave us from New York, which was terrific when I was over there and you were in L.A. <laughs> Next yeah, time in New York, yeah. we should get together at the same time. Please. Uh, guys, thank you for listening to the show. It's it for this year, and we'll pick you up in January. Thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. Until next time, I'm Mike Seymour. See you, guys. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.